Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Common Ground. Uh, the other one is Derek, and he's the one that did announcements with his Broncos light-up sweater. I, I want to know what the occasion is, but I'm scared to ask. Snow. Oh, it's a snow sweater. All right. Well, it's good to see everybody. Uh, since we've lived here, I've had to shovel my driveway twice, and they've both been in the past week. Uh, so that's, that's pretty exciting. We actually live on the side of the street where if I wait long enough, the snow disappears. So if I'm, if I'm lazy and don't have to go anywhere early in the morning, I can just wait and that snow disappears. But that hasn't been the case, and that hasn't been the case today, of course. But we're in the middle of our series, Building a Life Worth Living, as David as David prayed, as Derek mentioned. And that's something that everyone really desires. We want to live a life that's worth living, right? We don't want to get to the end and have regrets and, and think about all the things we shoulda, coulda. We want to live a life that's worth living, a life that God would approve of. And the first week, we were talking about the importance of being all in for Jesus, of leaving it all on the field. A life that's worth living is built on Jesus, Second week, we talked about how our identity is in Christ and His righteousness, not in our own worth. Because of Jesus, we're adopted as full heirs. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit into God's family. An incredible privilege. And then last week, we explored this idea of if you're really trying to follow Jesus, if you're trying to build a life worth living, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be opposition. So how to stand firm in the face of that difficulty by keeping your eyes on the end, keeping your eyes on the promise of Jesus, knowing that everything will be made right when he returns as he's promised he will. So today we're exploring this idea of how prayer fits into a life worth living, of how prayer fits into building a life worth living. And if you think about it, all of these weeks have a common thread. They're really all about maturity. They're about spiritual maturity. Think about how maturity happens. How does physical maturity happen? You eat some food, you have some birthdays, you wait, right? <laughs> you grow, you put marks on the wall to show how you're getting taller, things happen, um, your voice changes, right? If you're a guy, so your body changes. And it's pretty obvious. You can look at the marks in our upstairs closet, even though we've only lived here a couple of years, we still have marks that are going up of our kids getting taller just because of this um, physical maturity that happens. What about social maturity? This is what we're usually thinking about when we think, oh, he's really mature or she's really mature. When we make that comment, it's this idea of social maturity. How does that happen? Well, I think, kind of in a nutshell, you make choices in your life, you deal with the responsibilities and the consequences that come with those choices. Some people are better at that than others. Some people learn that faster than others, and that's why we can be in different places in our maturity. Nothing replaces experience, though, in gaining that social maturity. How many parents wish that we could just transfer that to our kids without them learning it the hard way, right? That's been a thing for generations. Why can't they just do what I tell them instead of learning it the hard way themselves? But that's part of how social maturity happens. So you can be physically mature and not socially mature, right? And you can be socially mature and not physically mature. They call that an old soul, right? And so these things don't actually track right together all the time. But spiritual maturity is a bit different. You, can't, you don't just sit around and it happens because you wait long enough. You don't just make choices and learn by experience. 
you actually attain spiritual maturity by abiding in Jesus and allowing God to shape you into the person he wants you to be. So God is the one that acts in this idea of spiritual maturity and growth. And our part in that is to abide in him and to let him do his work. And I think one of the primary conduits for God to shape and mold us is through prayer. One of the primary places we have the revealed word of God where he's told us all kinds of things about himself and what he wants for our life. And then we have the experience of prayer where we can connect to him personally and intimately. And so if that's true, if prayer is a primary conduit for God to shape and mold us, then building a life worth living is impossible without prayer. Building a life worth living is impossible without prayer. And before we dive in a little further, let's pray together. God, I thank you that we have this privilege of bowing our head, of being still, of pausing and speaking to you and knowing that you hear us because you've promised that you hear us. You've promised that because of what your son Jesus did for us, we have the opportunity to connect with you directly, to be forgiven and to be able to be in your presence as an heir, as a son, as a daughter. So God, we thank you for this privilege. Help us not to think of it incorrectly. Help us not to take it for granted. Help us to understand the importance of prayer in our life, in our growth, and in our spiritual maturity. And it's in your son Jesus' name I pray this morning. Amen. So, would you call yourself a person of prayer? Would you know one if you saw one? Is prayer really that big a deal? It is because, as I've already said, God has established prayer as the means by which we receive supernatural help. God set it up this way. He's established prayer as the means by which we receive supernatural help. He designed, planned, and promised that he will act on our behalf when we pray. He's promised to do things we can't do ourselves when we pray. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, this will be on the screen. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now that's more than just a saying that's on bumper stickers and, and Christian coffee mugs, right? That saying was probably on some things that were sold in this very room when this was the manger bookstore. But it's so, it's astonishing to think that God acts in response to our prayer. It's not just a nice saying. God set it up that way. He acts in response to our prayer. The almighty creator and sovereign God of the universe desires for you to pray to bring about a response from him. So prayer is definitely a big deal, and it's been set up that way by God himself. Now, we're going to spend the most time, the first half of the message here in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. So if you want to put your finger somewhere uh, in your Bible, you can find Philippians. Look it up in the, uh, in the index if you need to. It's one of the smaller books in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, they're in the racks in front of you or sometimes underneath your seat. We've got them all around the room if, if you'd like to see where this is for yourself in God's Word. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. As Paul is closing out his letter to this church in Philippi, he says this, Do not be anxious 
about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul advises that prayer should be a part of everything, right? Prayer should be a part of everything. And there's something inside us. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit. If you're not a believer, it's this drawing of you to God by the Holy Spirit. There's something inside us that tells us we ought to pray. Even people that aren't followers of Jesus, when they're in crisis, oftentimes they will post something on their Facebook page about prayer, or they'll give to a a cause in a place where there's been a tragedy, and the cause has something about prayer underneath it. Um, there's something inside of us. We know it's important. Romans 8.26 says the Spirit himself intercedes for us. So something in our inner being knows that there's a deeper connection with God possible through prayer. But I think over the years of being a pastor and of leading students and the various roles that I've played in the church, of all the things God has commanded us to do, this consistent prayer seems to be one of the most difficult It seems to be one of the ones that comes up over and over. I wish I prayed more. I know I need to pray more. I know I should pray with this person or that person. I should ask God to do this. I know, but I don't. See if any of these scenarios might be true for you. You know you should pray with your wife or your husband or or someone in your family. God's put someone on your heart that you should pray with or for. But it's been so long and you feel so awkward asking that even though the conviction is there, when the time comes, you let another day go by without taking any action. Or maybe you finally set aside time to read and pray, uh, to read your Bible and pray. I was going to say read and pray your Bible. That'd be good too. Um, in the morning, and you start to pray, and you get distracted because you look up and you see all the dust bunnies on the ceiling fan. Or Maybe you're more tidy than me, and that's not what happens. You find yourself thinking about things that are coming up in your day or something that's weighing you down in your week, something you really should be praying about, but instead it becomes a distraction away from God. Or maybe one of your kids wakes up earlier than usual, and even though you set aside time early in the morning, they want their lucky charms, and there's nothing you can do about it. They can't, they can't get the lucky charms for themselves, right? So it seems that following through with prayer the way God designed can be difficult. It can sometimes be awkward. It can feel overwhelming. It can be hard to be still. It can be easy to get distracted. Sometimes it feels pointless. Does it, does it really change anything? After all, God knows everything already, right? So how is it we can be completely convinced we ought to pray, even earnestly desire to pray, commit to pray, and still not follow through? I think there's a couple of factors. Um, First of all, because the enemy knows how important it is for our spiritual maturity, and he's going to stop at nothing to keep it suppressed in your life. So these feelings of embarrassment or awkwardness or difficulty being still can often be the distractions given to you by the enemy because he knows how important it is for you to connect with God. But also I think our culture influences influences us toward an incorrect understanding of what prayer really is, what it really means, what it really does. I recently had a birthday, and I turned 47. 
Oh, thank you. Um, and so I'm a, almost a half century, probably past the midpoint of my life. I hope not, but probably. Um, and it's amazing to think about, and I sound like really a, 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 an old person when I say stuff like that. I can't believe I'm up here, because so, I used to make fun of the guy that would say stuff like that. Anyway, uh, it's amazing to think about the way the world has changed, just even in my memory, because I can remember life without the internet. Do you believe there was a time when there was no internet? What happens now if, if you don't have internet at your house? It's like the world is ending, right? If you have teenage, teenagers in your house especially, the world is ending. They can't do anything. Uh, my little seven-year-old will come up to me and say, Dad, is there something wrong with the internet? I can't play my game. And it's like a crisis, right? Uh, pretty soon you won't be able to turn off your lights or open your garage door or do anything in your house if your internet goes down. And that's a little bit scary. Uh, so the internet is a thing we lived without a long time. I can remember life without remote controls, if you can believe that. Of course, you don't need them now. You can just talk to your TV and it changes channels. But there was a time when there was no remote control, except for my dad kind of used me as the remote control. Anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> Paul, go change it to channel four and turn it down. Oh, all right. And we only had four or five channels, by the way. Um, I can remember a time when I thought I was so cool in my teenage, 16, 17-year-old, because I had a 100-CD wallet. And I could carry all my music with me all the time. And it weighed about 15 pounds. <laughs> right? <laughs> I could carry my 100 CD collection in this giant thing. And uh, I could feel really cool because I had all my music with me all the time. Um, something else that I remember is how long it took to get stuff through the mail. <laughs> Anybody remember this? So as a kid, there were these deals you could get if you saved up proofs of purchase on certain cereal boxes. And then you could send those in with a couple of dollars, and you could get awesome things like super spy decoder glasses. But you had to wait for, well, my mom wouldn't let me just buy cereal and cut the things off. Some kids were lucky, and they could do that, and so they got their stuff like a couple of weeks before me. But my mom made me eat the cereal before we could cut the thing off. So I had to eat through five or six boxes of cereal, and then we cut all those things off. We would send them in, and we would wait. And it always said four to six weeks, and it would end up taking eight to ten, right, to get this $2 trinket in the mail. Now, what could I do, what, what could I do today? Well, because of a present that my brother-in-law gave us last year, the Alexa thing, I can actually just say in my kitchen, Alexa, Order super spy decoder glasses. By the way, I was practicing this last night in my bedroom, and Alexa started talking to me when I said that, <laughs> practicing my sermon. So, yeah, I almost ordered something last night. Uh, and, and Alexa says, okay, right? And it, that's it, depending on how you have it set up. I just ordered super spy decoder glasses. Then the next day, I walk into my house, and the Alexa downstairs is flashing this green thing, and that lets me know there's a message. And I say, Alexa, read notifications. And Alexa says something like, this message is for Paul from Amazon Shopping. You have a package arriving tomorrow, including super spy decoder glasses. Right? So such a change. We have gotten to be such an immediate society. We've gotten to be such a transactional society. And it's crazy. Don't get me wrong. I love technology. I love the convenience it brings. But it shows this trend in our culture that I think contributes to how we misunderstand prayer. Because we think of God like Alexa don't we? God, could you do this for me? And then we think that the next day, 
God should have done something. There should be a green blinking light in our life, right, that tells us that something happened based on what we asked God to do. As a society, we have become very transactional. But God is transformational. And there's a big difference between the two. Transactions are quick, and then they're complete. Transformation takes time, and until Jesus comes back or we go to heaven and meet with him, it doesn't stop. We never arrive. Transformation is always at work in our life if we're seeking God and wanting to be spiritually mature. So we think it's all about what we're doing or what we're getting in the moment, but God cares most about who we are becoming over time. And this is a big shift for us in our thinking. This is a big shift for us in how we connect with God. Romans 12, 2 actually warns us about this very misunderstanding when Paul says to the church in Rome, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. There's that word, transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So since prayer is one of the primary ways we engage with God and he engages with us, these kind of mismatched understandings uh, of what prayer is can have a big impact on how we view and how we approach it. So let's go back to our passage in Philippians. If you still have your finger there, I want to read it again. Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this admonition from Paul kind of gives us both a negative and a positive side to connecting with God, to, to bringing our request to Him. This proper perspective and emphasis on prayer, it shows what happens if you don't have it and what happens when you do. First, the negative, and that is what? Anxiety. Anxiety. When you're focused on yourself, when you don't allow time for connection with God, when you fail to follow his ordained desire for you to pray, for you to ask, seek, and knock, when you're conformed to this world, to this culture, the result is anxiety. So raise your hand if you enjoy living with lots of anxiety. But how many of us deal with it all the time? Yeah. It's, it's becoming more and more prevalent, more and more of a thing in our society, living with anxiety. And it can be paralyzing. And if you think about it, this anxiety throws a blanket over many of the descriptions that we see in Scripture about how Christians are supposed to live and be. Things like abundant life, joy, victory, right? Anxiety kind of puts a blanket over those things. And Paul says... Bring your request to God. Connect with God. There's a positive side to his description of prayer here. The positive is a peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. A peace. That's not just absence of conflict. It's tranquility, calmness, stillness. It says will guard your heart. The world wants to bring anxiety. Paul says trusting in God brings peace. And that peace will guard your heart and your mind. You can live a life that's protected, a life that's guarded by God himself, by his peace. A couple of weeks ago, as Derek was talking about our identity in Christ, we spent a lot of time in Ephesians 1. And I think it's good to be reminded of what um, is promised to us there in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. 
It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This peace that passes all understanding is a taste of that inheritance that God has sealed for us. It's a peace that can only come through an abiding relationship with him, which he created us to enjoy. So Paul says, in everything, in all aspects of life, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. This word supplication means earnestly asking for help. It's almost the idea of begging God to intervene and to do things in your life. And with thanksgiving implies that you'll be content, you'll be thankful with whatever God wisely and lovingly gives you. And so this is a key ingredient here. When we bring our requests to God in this way, His peace will guard your heart and your mind, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And what do we get hung up on? Like I said earlier, we get hung up on whether or not God has answered fast enough or in the way we think He should, right? Again, it's a transaction. We expect something to happen because we got on our knees and prayed. Or we go through the motions of prayer because we know it's something we're supposed to do to check off on our what to do to be a good Christian list. And so we, we say the prayer that we're supposed to at dinner. We say the prayer we're supposed to as we go to bed. But there's not this, this thanksgiving. There's not this supplication. There's not this connection to God that Paul's describing. So again, it's a transaction. It's because I'm supposed to. And it's clear in Scripture God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear your request, like I started the whole message saying. He wants you to bring your request to Him. But the promised result is peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. It's not about the transaction of the request. It's about the fact that we took it to Him. It's about the fact that we trusted Him. It's about the fact that we wanted to bring it before him. It's about who we are becoming because he's transforming us through his power. A son or daughter that trusts God with everything, including the result to our prayer. So I like to picture God bending down to hear my prayers and my request, picturing him with a concerned, loving smile as I'm pouring my heart out to him, knowing that my trust in him will bring his peace in my life no matter the eventual outcome of what I'm praying about. I think, you know, I've heard over the years going to church that God responds yes, no, or wait. Has anybody else heard that? I think that, I, that is true. It's a true statement, but I think it cheapens it a little bit when it's only about yes, no, or wait. Because I think his response is more than that. I think his response is to a thankfulness for trusting him. He says, thank you for trusting me to do what's ultimately best and will bring about the most glory, the most growth in your life, uh, the most honor in my kingdom. God, he thanks us for trusting him and he gives us that peace that surpasses all understanding. So our requests accomplish something in us because they lead us to being more of who God wants us to be. They bring about his peace with which guards our hearts and minds and brings his transformation through the renewing of our mind that only God can do. So this sounds really good, um, but how do you do it? How do you pray this way? 
How do you make it transformation versus transaction? Well, there's a moment in the life of Jesus where the disciples see once again how closely he walks with God, how closely he is connected to God in prayer. And one of them asks him that question, Lord, teach us to pray. Right? They say, Lord, teach us to pray. And this particular instance we're going to look at today is Luke chapter 11. It's also recorded in Matthew. And the one in Matthew is actually where we get the traditional saying of the Lord's Prayer. The one in Luke's a little shorter. But I want us to look at it in Luke because um, it's in response to this question. And I think that's a question many of us have. How can I pray? How should I pray? How can I do this? And instead of trying to answer that question myself, I think it's better if we see how Jesus answers it, excuse me, for the disciples. So Luke 11, just the first four verses says this. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Again, it's a little shorter than the one in Matthew. But this is what Jesus says in response to this question. Lord, teach us to pray. So how does he tell us to pray? Well, first and foremost, he begins with God. He begins with God. The focus is our connection to the Heavenly Father and reminding ourselves of who He is, of His holiness, His power. He is God and we're not. He's the author of life. Only He has the power to change us, to intervene in our circumstances. It begins with God. Only He is holy and worthy. And the next thing he says, to make clear that our desire is to be in line with God's kingdom, his purposes, his plans, your kingdom come. So once we get the proper perspective of who God is and the incredible privilege we have of connecting to him, then we make clear in our prayer that it's about his desire. Another way to say that would be our desires, our plans are subject to his to keep the mindset that God's ways are best and to keep that thanksgiving we talked about earlier intact. Remember, thanksgiving, to be content and thankful with whatever God wisely and lovingly gives us. Not with what we think he should or when we think he should, but to be thankful with whatever God wisely and lovingly gives us. So right after recognizing God's glory, Jesus says, ask that God's kingdom come, that his will is done. And it helps to set our spirit toward letting God transform us rather than simply coming to him with our list of desires and requests. It makes it, again, about Him, about His purposes, because prayer is a tool for God to shape us. Jesus goes on, He says, we should express our dependence on God for our needs, for our daily bread, to remind ourselves that all good things come from God. The the practice of keeping that truth paramount in our lives creates this shield for us between uh, living a life of holiness and pursuing the worldly things of the greed and materialism, the things that keep us conformed to this world. It makes it, again, about trusting God, expressing our dependence on Him. So it starts with Him. 
we make clear that it's his kingdom, his desire that matters, and then we thank him and we, we express our dependence once again on him. And then next we talk about forgiveness, asking God to forgive sins that we've committed that would hinder our fellowship him, with him, but also reminding ourselves of the importance of practicing that forgiveness toward others in our own lives. The forgiveness that we've received from God should express itself in how we treat other people. It should be an evident thing. Again, it's about Him. And finally, expressing our need for God's help with temptation reminds us that only God can deliver us. It is only through His power we can live in victory over sin. It's another expression of dependence, but from a spiritual perspective instead of physical. So that seems pretty simple, doesn't it? I think like a lot of things in life, like a lot of things in our spiritual journey, we like to make it more complicated than it really has to be. Jesus teaches us to pray simply, to allow God to be God and to do what only God can do. So for us to dig into prayer in a way that better matches God's design, we have to stop thinking about it as a transaction, not about just our actions or getting an answer. It's not about instant gratification or checking a task off of our what to do to be a good Christian list. It's about who we are becoming. It's about abiding and being still and letting God speak into us because prayer is God's tool to transform us rather than just a transaction between us. Prayer is God's tool to transform us rather than just a transaction between us. So the question we need to ask is, are, are we praying to get what we want? Or are we praying as a way to allow God to align our will with his? Are we letting God be God in our life? Because I came across this phrase and I think it just, it really hit me this week. We will do what God wants us to do if we allow him to mold us into who he wants us to become. So often we're worried about the actions instead of the becoming. We need to allow God to make us who he wants us to be. And then we will do what God wants us to do. In Jeremiah 18, we see a picture of this. God tells Jeremiah to go to a potter's house to receive a message for him or for the people of Israel. He says, go to this potter's house and I'll give you a message to share with Israel. Jeremiah goes to the potter's house. He sees the potter working the clay and God tells him that he says, I am the potter and my people are the clay. God wants to mold us He's the potter. We're the clay. He wants to do that for our benefit. He wants to transform us again so that we can test and approve what his will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So God has established prayer as the means by which we receive supernatural help. We know from John 15 that without his help, without abiding in Jesus, we can't accomplish anything. We can't live a life worthy of the gospel. Everything that distinguishes Christians from the world is a work of God. It's a work of His grace. And God has ordained that that grace flows through walking in the Spirit, through abiding in Jesus, through being still and knowing that He is God, letting Him be God in our lives. So if you want to build a life worth living, be still and make prayer a central part of your journey, not a peripheral religious activity that you just add into your already busy life. So as I was preparing for this week, I talked to Derek about it, and he asked me what was probably a, a pretty innocent question from his perspective, but it really triggered a memory for me. He said, Paul, do you ever just pray the Lord's Prayer? 
because I had a very different message on the first round, and we did we took quite a big red pen to it. Um, and God brought it back around to this Lord's Prayer as Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. And Derek said, do you ever just pray the Lord's Prayer? Sometimes I do when I just don't know what else to say and I want to really connect with God. Why don't you try doing that for the next few days? It's about 10 days ago, leading up to that message. Well, that triggered a memory for me. When I was in high school, my junior year, I was on the basketball team. It was a brand new team, brand new high school that had just opened. And we had our very first game. Everyone knew by that point in the, in the school year that I was the son of a Baptist minister that worked at this big church that fed into the neighborhood that fed into the school. And so I had some nicknames related around that, like preacher and goody and all that kind of stuff, Bible boy. Um, those are real, real positive memories. But uh, so everyone knew that I didn't do the things that some of the things they did or or act some of the ways that they did. And we were getting together in our locker room before the, the very first game, and one of the players said, at my old, on my old team, again, because we came from all different high schools, brand new high school opened, at my old team, we always said the Lord's Prayer before we left the locker room. Paul, why don't you lead us? Because, you know, I was the religious kid, so obviously I would know the Lord's Prayer. Well, in my tradition, this wasn't a thing we did. I grew up Baptist, and we kind of the Baptist tradition, at least that I had experienced, pushed against any sort of rote prayers. It was all about the priesthood of the believer and you make your own connection to God. We don't need any of those written down prayers, even though this one was spoken by Jesus himself. It seems a little silly to even say now, but that was my experience. And so we started the Lord's Prayer and I was able to do the Our Father who art in heaven. And then I was glad because they kind of picked up the slack and I, I, I could do like, you know, every few words. I wasn't completely, uh, completely illiterate about it, but I would not have been able to lead that on my own. And God really kind of convicted me that day. That why can't you at least join in? You're, all your friends that don't even really follow God know the Lord's Prayer, and you don't. They want to say the Lord's Prayer before the game. You wouldn't have even thought about that. What a convicting thing. And then Derek does it to me again about 10 days ago. <laughs> and so I've been doing it. I've been praying the Lord's Prayer in the morning. Um, and it, I, I, I have to say it opens a door to God being a primary thing in your life, in your day. There's other ways to do it. But if you're like me and sometimes you get distracted by the kid that needs their lucky charms or the dust bunnies on the fan or whatever it might be, start your day by praying the prayer that Jesus said is the way to pray when his disciples asked him how to pray. And I think God might open some doors in you, in your heart. He might open some avenues of transformation that maybe you didn't even know were possible. Maybe you didn't even know you needed and so our challenge to you today is to do that, to say, yes, I will pray the Lord's Prayer as a way to start my interaction with God, to open my heart to who God is, and just see what God does. Let God be God in your life by making that commitment to Him. Maybe, maybe today you want to talk to somebody, have someone pray for you about something that's really weighing you down, and you want to bring your request to God um, and have someone else share in that with you. There are people that are on our prayer team that stand in the back every Sunday and they're there for you 
They're there for that reason. They're there because they believe so strongly in prayer being a life-changing um, force in our spiritual journey that they're willing to make themselves available every week. It's not about finding out your secrets. <laughs> Sometimes people are worried about that. You don't even have to tell them who you are. If you don't know them, that's okay. They just want to pray for you. They want to go to God on your behalf so that those burdens can be shared together. So they'll be in the back of the room. We also have uh, prayer walls, our chicken wire frames, right? We have little slips of paper on the table below them. Many of you have taken advantage of this over time. You can write a request on there. You can stick that in the wall. We get a summary of that before Sunday is even finished because someone on the prayer team takes those, types them up, and sends them to leaders so that they can be prayed over even today. And so take advantage of that. Let us pray for you. Let us help you. You can write on your connection card a prayer request and drop that in the box in the back. There's lots of ways for you to interact with us and to tell us how we can interact with you and with God on your behalf. We want to do anything we can to see you connect with God and experience him in your life. Maybe you would say, I don't know what it means to really follow Jesus as my Savior. And I want to talk to someone about that. It's why we exist as a church. For the people that aren't here yet, for those that want to know what it means to really follow Jesus and to grow in him, you're exactly why we opened the door today, even though it's snowing buckets out there right now, if you hadn't looked. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was supposed to be over by now. So... If that's you, let us know. Put a, put a mark on your Connect card. Let one of the prayer responders know. You can put that in the uh, box. Um, also, today we're going to be doing communion. Um, as we sing the next song, you can stand. You can come forward. Uh, you can pray. You can do that as a family. You can uh, take the elements right there. You can go back to your seat. More than anything, we want you to connect with God over these next few moments. And so it's a reminder to us of the privilege we have of knowing God because of the sacrifice that Jesus gave on the cross where he gave his life for us, where he shed his blood so we could be forgiven. It's not a ritual. It's a, it's a chance to really connect with the, the truth of God and who Jesus is. So take advantage of that as we worship over these next few moments. But before I close this in prayer, I want to read... Uh, four lines to you that were on the back of a book that uh, Linda Pitts, who is one of the leaders of our prayer team, and they were snowed in today or they'd be here. They live a little more up on the mountain. But she gave me a book. She kind of shoved it at me last week and, uh, and said, I've been wanting to give you this. She had no idea about what was happening today, but it's a book on prayer. And uh, I had, I, to be honest, I put it in my backpack because I was headed to Minden and I hadn't looked at it since. And last night, as I was getting my backpack ready to come to church today, realized it was still in there, pulled it out, and I just turned it over and looked on the back. And I thought I was going to make it without doing this today. And these four lines on the back of that book really stood out to me. And so I want to read these to you. If you'll close your eyes and bow your heads and just really... As David said earlier, press into God's spirit today. You're not here because we want you to go home and say that was awesome music or that was a great message. We want you to go home saying God really said something to me today. God really was present today. I I experienced him in a way that's going to make me think differently or act differently or, or be different. 
And so as we press into God's spirit over these next few moments, let me just read these words and uh, see how God uses them in your heart, in your life. When you pray for the miraculous, God will answer. When you face obstacles, God will give you hope. When you feel powerless, God will empower you. And when you long for a transformed life, the most powerful thing you can do is pray. God, I thank you for the privilege of prayer. I thank you for the gift that you've given us, the opportunity we have to be able to connect directly with you. God, I pray that if anyone is in this room today,